Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that thinks if Cristiano Ronaldo was such a great human being, like Solskjaer says, then he'd be able to go on holiday in America. On today's part, we're looking ahead to tomorrow's tough test at Leicester, against a side that's missing a defence, but still has Vardy up front. We'll also be discussing the international break, a blessing in disguise for Pep perhaps, ultimately not. To cover all this and more, I'm delighted to be joined today by an actual great human being. It's Lloyd. You well, pal? Oh, cheers, mate. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm a bit under the weather, but um, uh, i yeah, yeah. that. What, cold? Yeah, negative COVID tests. Uh, so good, good. Fingers crossed. Absolutely, man. I, I took one yesterday. I was negative, so yeah, I hope that continues. Um, I, I guess we should start with the international break then. Um and how it kind of has affected City. Um, at one stage, it looked like it was going to be a blessing in disguise for Pep. Players who needed game time were getting it. Um, people like Raz, kind of John Stones in particular, players who needed a break perhaps were sitting out. Um, and then the farcical Brazilian situation happened. Uh, I mean, it's highly likely that Edison and Gabby Jesus will miss out this weekend. Um, apparently City and other Premier League clubs affected are looking to find a way to bypass the FIFA regulation invoked by FIFA. What's your take on it, Lloyd? Ah, it's a mess, isn't it? Um, it's a proper 2021 story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, ultimately, I just think it's ridiculous that at the end of the day, the institutions that pay these guys wages and, you know, they're under an employment contract with... Uh, are basically being ruled against because they haven't been allowed to travel to red list countries where you know they've had to have mandated quarantine on return. So oh. it's a re- it, it literally makes no sense. Um, you know, also the fact that Everton have been given like a bye because they allowed Richarlison to yeah. play yeah. Uh, in the Olympics just shows how like it, <laughs> straight down the line it is, and it's just you know the the Brazilian authorities have kind of just cherry picked where they want. Um, but obviously it's ridiculous. It affects us probably apart from Liverpool more than any anybody else. Um it's not really much more to say. I mean just, you know, I'm kind of minded to say our oh, city should just play them anyway, but then you you probably just get yourselves in in even more um rubbish, uh particularly given that they're technically suspended. So hopefully they can find some sort of solution because I think particularly well it's a problem at goalkeeper because Stefan's obviously got mm. COVID. Uh, but it's a, I'd say it's a pretty big problem for for Jesus because I can't remember the last time he's had himself in a situation where he's probably nailed on to start games through merit rather than the fact that um, Aguero's out or you yeah. know we're, we're, we're short. Uh, and such is the nature of our team. You know, I think. Stones and Laporte is a great example last year. Once you cede that opportunity to somebody else, there's a very good chance you'll struggle to get your, your place in the team back. So, you know, look how Raz has been playing with England. Um, you know, Grealish has been starting games. Foden's back in training. Uh, there's a, you know, there's a good chance that if he misses out, he, he'll struggle to get his his place back. So it's it's a big problem for him. Yeah, I mean, you said that it kind of it doesn't really make sense. And when I when the when the stories first emerged. I thought, well, I'm obviously missing a big piece of this puzzle. And then kind of looked into it and realised that I wasn't missing a big piece of this puzzle. It was basically just a jigsaw puzzle just chucked up in the air. None of it makes sense. I mean, I don't understand for the life of me why Brazil are doing this because they're just cutting their nose off to spite their 
think surely it, it, you know, the amount of bad blood this is going to cause between themselves and Premier League clubs. And so moving forward, you know, this is a situation now that's just potentially going to exacerbate and going to cost them, you know, in the future. Um, I, I just I don't know why they're doing it, but... Yeah, it doesn't... It, it just kind of... I kind of... I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a, one of the Brazilian players and I just don't think from their side how... I mean, they're, they're just going to only perceive it badly, I yeah. thought. Uh, they're basically restraining the... Well, re- restraining trade and kind of... Yeah, trade of these players to do what they're paid to do, which, you know, I mean... I appreciate it's not ideal that they won't be able to play in these internationals, but it's not like the reasons were completely unjustified uh, and it was kind of a group decision by the Premier League. And I know it's easy for us on these shores to kind of side with side with our lot, but ultimately, it, it you know, this one does make sense and <laughs> uh, sending people to the other side of the world when we're in a global pandemic and there's mandated quarantine from going to that country. I mean, whether... You know, that's you agree with it being red list or not is an entirely different point. It is so, yeah. It's just it's all very strange. Very twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think ultimately, um, as with so many bad decisions, it possibly comes down to arrogance on the Brazilian part, um, the Brazilian FA, because clearly they just think that you know it's still a, a, a great honour to play for their country uh, and for Brazil and, and, you know, how it's revered that their kind of um, team when, you know, in the modern age, I think club football always trumps international football uh, for most players, regardless of their nationality. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least a couple of players who are so put out by this. I mean, Gary Jesus is a perfect example as regards to how harmful this could be because, you know, let's say Mares steps in for two games on, on a trot and plays great then Jesus is back to square one, whereas he's been playing fantastic, hasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I think it's a potential massive problem for Jesus. I mean, he's played in a position that I think, well, at least me as a City fan, I hadn't really yeah. properly considered him playing. And I always thought he'd play on the left because um, he played a bit on the left when we played him in Aguero kind of up front, even though he was, he was more wide. Um, but he's done really well and he's obviously given us some actual whip on that side and he's obviously got his three assists and he's been firing crosses in low and kind of cutting them back towards the towards the edge of the box, which is obviously what we saw loads in Pep's kind of early few seasons and we've seen less now Mares has been in the team because he likes to cut in. So yeah, I think I like just echo what I said before, I think it could be a big problem for him. If he misses out, our team is so strong. And we've got so many options that there's every chance that someone else, Mares, Foden, whoever, will come in and he'll find himself back on the bench and all that momentum that he's built up will just kind of roll into nothing. Yeah. I mean, the thing could be said of Edison, of course, because now that he's very possibly missing for a couple of games, there's an up-and-coming keeper called Scotty Carson, I think, from the academy, uh, who might well grab his place. Yeah, I've heard he's a bit of a boy. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you know, if Scotty Carson's playing this weekend, we we need an appreciation um, pod about him because there's a lot to admire about Scotty Carson, isn't there? I mean, he's 36 years old, joined City. Um, I don't know how long was it three or two years ago now on loan, and then it was yeah, kind of two, I think. yeah, and then signed kind of permanently. If that's the right expression, this summer um, played one game 
Um, and that really was, you know, a set of circumstances where very conceivably it might well have transpired that he'd never played for City. And yet, apparently such a popular figure amongst the squad, um, he's such a dedicated professional, he's a good kind of um, influence on everyone around him. Um, and he does the right things in training and you know, I hope that he remains at City beyond his playing career in some kind of coaching capacity. Um, yeah, I, I just, I just want him to play well. Um, it's an obvious thing to say, but I, someone of that ilk, someone of that character, as Scotty Carson, you really want him to play well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, look, it sounds like he's uh, evidently like a very kind of key part of the dressing room and. I think actually you see in interviews that Edison and Stefan have done about him and even Guardiola. I mean, if you remember after the title, I think Pep, um, when he was on the pitch, hmm. was at the Etihad was talking about Carson individually. Um, what I would say is, um, to be slightly less romantic than you, Steve, on this one, uh, <laughs> ultimately we didn't, we didn't sign Scott Carson to play Premier League games. Um, yeah. And... If he does have to play against Leicester, which you know right now looks very much like the case, then that is a concern because I'm just getting flashbacks to previous games against Leicester over the last few years, um, where you know you need your goalkeeper to be on top form because Vardy or whoever sniffing in and around the goal is is always a massive threat. I mean, think back to that ridiculous game. Um, where Bravo conceded, I don't know how many at, um, at Leicester Stadium, and it was almost like we had a cardboard cutout in there. <laughs> um, and obviously, last year's game like against Leicester was a total mess as well at home. So they've got form for you know for putting a few past us. So it's it is far from ideal. You know, he is thirty six, and he's essentially he's our, he's our third choice keeper, right? So yeah, you don't expect to be playing your third choice keeper in any Premier League game, but. If he has to play, then you know he has to play, and we, you know, we've just got to get behind him and hope that hope that he can pull pull a mad one out of the bag. Because ultimately, from his side, what an opportunity! I mean, he wouldn't have expected this to happen, so you you can't not think that he won't be up for it. Um, and you know, he's had a, he's had a good career, and you know, he's played in the Champions League, so you would hope that this will kind of bring something out of him, maybe. Well, uh, yeah, I, I kind of disagree to an extent because I mean I, I've just done the same so I'm being a hypocrite when I say this and it's actually not meant as criticism of anyone to be fair anyway um I've gone along with this you know more more than most but I do think that we as a city fan base kind of patronize Scotty Carson to an extent because of his circumstance because of you know he's always someone in the background whenever you see kind of title celebrations or what have you he's always there in the photographs because obviously he's a member of the squad but he's a player who we never see play so a kind of joke kind of scenario built up around him um I do think we kind of forget his qualities I mean yes he's 36 and yes he hasn't played for some considerable time apart from one first team appearance but He's a dedicated professional, so he's going to be ready. Um, he's had enough preparation for him. I would be far more concerned if he was getting chucked in at, you know, kind of half 11 on Saturday morning, at, you know, for all the minutes, say, a late injury to Edison. Um, and he's played for England, as you say, he's played for in Champions League football with Liverpool. So he is a quality keeper. Um, so in that regard, I, I don't think. 
when he played at that game, uh, there was a lot of City fans who were kind of, you know, we'd pull off a, a routine save and people on Twitter saying, yes, yeah, Scotty Carson's superhero. I was like, yeah, he's a, he's a really good keeper. <laughs> so, yeah, all the things you say are absolutely bang on, mate. He's third choice. You know, he's 36, which is not ideal, but I wouldn't say it's kind of ancient for a keeper. Um, so there's, there's a lot of encouraging factors, I think, surrounding Scotty Carson that he, he will put in a decent performance. Um you just don't know with any keeper whether they're going to put in a decent performance or not, regardless of circumstance. And it would just be horrendous, you know, if he did have a kind of a, a nightmare of any kind. But I can't say I'm backing him. I, I think he's going to be just, you know, A-OK. Well, I hope so. I mean, the problem the problem with goalkeeper more than any position is it's really fine margins, isn't it? Because yes, definitely. You, you fuck up, you know, that's it really. Uh, it, it generally goes in the net. What I would say is... To be fair, I thought against Newcastle, even though he conceded three, none of them were really his fault. He didn't really do anything wrong. Um, They were just, you know, sometimes, I mean, it happens with Edison all the time. Sometimes the other team score and either your goalies never get into it or it's just a good goal and you just have to hold your hands up and go, fair play. Um, But it's obviously just those fine margins where, you know, say Vardy goes through one-on-one, that's where you really need your goalkeeper to to pull one out of the hat. Um, So let's see. Yeah, we'll get to Vardy shortly, um, and he's my big concern, I have to be honest. But overall, what have you made of Leicester this season? Because um, they don't really... I mean, they typically start well um, under Rodgers, and that hasn't been the case this season, has it? No, they've they've not looked great, actually, have they? They've looked a bit... Um, I think they've looked a bit short of their buzz. That yeah. The Leicester kind of attacking play usually has. Um I think a lot of that has probably got to do with the fact that Harvey Barnes hasn't started that well and he particularly over the last 12 months has given them a lot of their kind of speed of thought and speed of foot in transition uh, and kind of pulled defenders everywhere. Vardy's obviously, how old is he now? I think he's 34 and clearly if you look at his stats now over the last 12 to 18 months, he's clearly on the decline. Uh, however, he's started the season quite well Um but yeah, they just don't look the same team. I think you know Madison as well isn't in a great isn't in great form. Um, he, he's quite hot and cold, Madison. He goes through really hot streaks and then he'll go through quite quite cold streaks where he doesn't really affect games as much. Um, but yeah, the, I mean the, the Leicester machine is you know it's got still got all the players there. You know Tielemans is they've managed to keep Tielemans. They've still got in Diddy. Um, obviously, the three that I've mentioned. Um, Pats and Daka they've signed but hasn't really do, hasn't really kind of come in yet. So yeah, they've, they've still got a very strong side, but they just haven't looked that kind of buzzy Leicester um, so far. And I don't know if you agree, but that's kind of the impression that I've got from from watching one of their games and much of the day. Yeah, well, I mean against West Ham, um, they look poor. I mean the primary reason for that is again something we'll move on to shortly which is their lack of defence right now but and, and you know that's going to affect any team but what strikes me kind of stepping back from it is there's at least three teams this this weekend where it's a real defining game and I think Leicester you can put in that category certainly Arsenal you can put into that category you know we, we can't afford to lose at home to Norwich that that would be the end for Arteta I believe but Leicester too I mean if they lose uh, you know this Saturday, then it's kind of confirmed almost this is a bad start for Leicester. 
have a response to that, of course. We could go on a 10-game winning streak after that, but that at least then the narrative would be kind of um, cemented there. So it's a really important game um, for the Foxes, I think, but they just don't have a defence right now. Uh, Fafana's out. Um, That's the big thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, it would affect any team, and particularly, you know, Leicester, because they were kind of short anyway as regards to they had a, a quality kind of six, seven defenders, and um, beyond that, then the quality does kind of, you know, dip and they're missing Fafana, Evans and Justin. So that's three straight off. But Vestergaard too is a doubt. Um, probably will play uh, Vestergaard, but, you know, is he 100% fit? I'm not so sure about that. Um, then um, Bernard as well. So it, um, Bernard, what's his name? Uh, uh, Bertrand. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, Bertrand. Bertrand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sticking to the Everton player. But yeah, Bertrand as well is, is kind of not 100% fit, but is set to play. So, yeah, that, that's a real kind of makeshift defence that Rodgers has had to kind of put together there. Um, and City hopefully will be able to exploit that. I mean, would that make him adapt his game plan? Um, maybe kind of pack the, the spaces and, and look to hit on a break? Or, or or is that something they probably would have done anyway, do you think? You know what, they'd have... <laughs> Again, think back to last year's game against Leicester. I mean, I think we were all kind of shocked, actually, within the game itself. I remember us actually talking on our 9320 um, WhatsApp at half-time. Yeah. Just how defensive Leicester had come, because we were like, Leicester are a good team. Yeah. And they've literally gone, because they've moved to five at the back and basically just had, I think it was Vardy and Ayazi Perez that day. As like the only two that were willing to kind of get beyond the ball, so I think you know you can only look at that evidence and suggest that actually they were, you know, they would probably do that anyway. So, mm. um, and actually, yeah, Rogers recently, particularly against the big sides, has tended to go slightly more pragmatic than say he did in his Liverpool days, where his teams were very gung ho and he kind of just said, you know, let's just take the fight to them, and if you know if we lose on our terms, we lose on our terms. Um, so yeah, I would imagine we'll see a pretty defensive Leicester, particularly for the reasons you've outlined. I mean, they've been playing Sunchu and Amati at centre half, um, which has not gone that well for them. No, no. Um, so gave away that pen, didn't he? Um, Amate is probably fifth choice centre half for them. Yeah, uh, that's kind of like a Eric Garcia for us last year, um, <laughs> who obviously had a great game against those lot. Um, but yeah, I think Vestergaard came off the bench in the last game, so it, he's expected to play. But I, I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's those three and we see, you know, those three with Albrighton and say um, Bertrand as as wing backs and Leicester just try and dig in and use. You know, I mean, we've got to be honest. Since we since Pep's come and we've played Leicester, they've had a pretty good record against us, yeah. and particularly Vardy. Barnes, Madison, etc., have found a lot of joy kind of getting in behind our high line. So that template is definitely one that has been shown to work. So I would I would completely understand why Rogers would go for that. Yeah, I mean what worries me about kind of the five two last season is, you know, they were deserved winners. I know they hit on the break and I know they you know, if you you're looking at XG, for example, it's kind of they really kind of uh they converted their chances. And I know it was a bit of a freak game because, you know, how, how many games do you see with kind of a hat-trick of penalties? But they were thoroughly deserving winners that day. Uh, they outplayed us. And yes, we had our own problems kind of at the back at the time before Diaz. But it, 
I'm not suggesting for a second there's going to be a repeat performance of that this Saturday, but there are concerns there. Um, Vardy, you mentioned, of course, I mean, nine goals in 17 games against City. Um, he just loves playing against our high line. He loves playing on that last man and then exploiting the space. Um, who do you want to see kind of put in there to kind of negate that? I mean, for me, Laporte is, is the standout option. You know, he's got a lot of pace, very good at reading the game. Um, he's a very good last man defender as well. Um, are you happy to see Laporte in there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a bit of a weird one, actually, on the centre-back front in for City over the international break, hasn't it? Because it sounded like Laporte was injured and then he played the next game for Spain. Yeah. And then it looked like Stones got injured. Yeah, yeah. Against Poland and then he carried on as well. So um, hopefully they're both okay. But yeah, I mean, I would imagine, given how we went pre-international break... It, it would, I would imagine it's Laporte and Diaz. Um, and, you know, that is harsh on Stones, but Stones has now got some game time in him, which is good. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, it's been shown over the last 12 months that the incumbents, if, they've play, if they play well in that cent- central kind of defensive partnership, will stay. And like you say, I think Laporte's probably the quickest of our, back, of our three main options. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would imagine it would be... Um, Walker, Diaz, Laporte, and probably Cancelo um, as the back four, and you know that to me, I would have absolutely no problem with that. You know, there's a lot of pace in there. Diaz isn't the quickest, but the other three have all got good recovery pace, which is ultimately what you'll need against uh, Vardy. Because I think when you, you know, if Barnes and Madison can combine like they have shown that they can in those tight areas to kind of get past the initial press and put put them in behind there's every chance that even if City play well Leicester will get in behind us three four times and so yeah. having guys who can you know put a bit of gas on and, and try and cover back is will be very important so yeah I imagine that'll be the back four I've kind of revised my opinion on Madison and it's probably a dangerous thing to say kind of 24 hours before we play them but um, when I wrote for a site a couple of years ago, and I was kind of the Leicester correspondent, as it were, for the American market. So I had to watch every Leicester game. And I was thinking, why aren't more people talking about how great James Madison is? I mean, what a terrific player this guy is. I mean, this guy, at the time, I, I would have put him over Jack Grealish, you know, at the time. Um, mm. And then I think you, you got it banged on earlier where you, you said he's either very, very hot or very, very cold. And what gets me about Madison is he, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a, a, you know, one of those forum kind of people who, who say this about players, attacking players, but he doesn't track back. He just doesn't. He, he doesn't put in any work. He's not someone who's going to add to your team if he's not playing well. You, you're essentially playing with 10 men. Um and so, yeah, I, I, I've really revised my opinion of him now. Even even as recently as maybe certainly just coming up to the Euros um, and Madison was coming back from injury and I was thinking if he comes back from injury and puts in three or four good performances, he deserves a spot or at least consideration in the Euro squad. I really mm-hmm. rate him, but no, I, I just revised my opinion. But however um, much that is... Matters or not, my opinion, which is not a great deal, but still. Um... No, I think I think you're right though, because I think the thing with Madison that's become clear now he's been in the Premier League for long enough. I think for you, yeah. for people to form a solid opinion is he's. There are obviously been issues between him and 
Southgate which look like more personal issues and that was prevalent particularly early when he was playing well but I think now if you look at the last two and a half three years he just lacks consistency to be a top top player in that position and yeah. I think it's it's ultimately why um, one of the kind of big six haven't gone for him because for that price he's just not consistent enough and I agree I, th- I think like 18 months ago I was looking at Madison thinking He's a better. He's better than Jack Grealish. I don't understand why, you know, Grealish had made possibly his um, that debut before Madison. However, what Grealish has shown really now since he kind of emerged at the beginning of last season properly with Villa is that since then Grealish has put in a two-year stretch essentially yeah. where he's just been consistently very, very good, and that level really hasn't dropped, and he's if anything got better. And whilst the pressure's risen and he's had to take on more, more responsibility, he's improved. Whereas with Madison, it's kind of like the opposite. And I think he's just shown that he is a really good player. But is he a £75 million attacking midfielder? No, probably not. And look, he's still young and that arc, career arc can definitely go back up again. And, you know, he could, he could easily put a really strong gear ahead of him. But I think where we stand right now is he is just a bit of a hot, cold, slightly inconsistent player. Mm. Well, one player who certainly isn't inconsistent, um, unfortunately, with injuries um, cost him dear so often, is Kev De Bruyne. Um, might you start this Saturday? Oh, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, we, we don't know, to be honest, do we? Because no, we don't we know don't. the extent of his injury and, and yeah, or where he is. We don't know. And I think, uh, look, Pep will be tempted because he's our best player and... I think the the really funny thing about Kev is you saw actually in the Spurs game, he was on basically one leg and yeah. he was still the best player on the pitch for yeah. us in the whole game. So, you know, I think the thing with, yeah, the thing with De Bruyne is the upside is so high. He is the best player in the league when he's fit um, that they'll be tempted. I would, I would be cautious because you've just, I think the thing with this season and it's partly why City started so slow against Spurs, it's going to be a very long season. I think you've got to have a bit of foresight and it's more important that we have Kev fit for, you know, key games towards the end of the season or through the middle Christmas when it's going to get really hectic. So I would I would keep him on the bench. Uh, I know he's been in training for a week, but we've got a lot of options. We've obviously played okay in the last two. Um, so I would be tempted just to, just to be slightly cautious, but... I understand why the team would want to throw him straight back in. Uh, I just fear, particularly after he played against Spurs, it sounded like he had an adverse reaction. Um, and that kind of obviously set him back a couple of weeks. So I'd just be cautious probably at this point. Yeah, I mean, OK, it seems like an eternity ago now, but we are coming off the back of two 5-0 wins. Um, so in terms of creativity and you know, creating chances, we're not short in that regard at the moment anyway. So... Yeah, I'm with you. I think caution is probably the best approach. Um, so who do you believe will be the likeliest of uh, the front three um, and the kind of you know, the two more progressive midfielders? Well, I mean, pre-Jesus, you'd have said, well, pre-this Brazil thing, you'd have yeah. kind of said Jesus 100% on the right. I, I couldn't see how he wouldn't start. So now, I mean, look, again, we're recording this early Friday morning so things could change but I think obviously Jesus isn't going to be in there I imagine Torres will be up front yeah um, I imagine 
it will be probably the same team that played Arsenal, but with Mares instead of Jesus. So I imagine it'll be Grealish on the left. I imagine the midfield will probably stay the same. So Bernardo, Gundo, Rodri. And yeah, it'll be Grealish, Torres, Mares, which seems harsh on Raz. Um, and it'll mean that Raz will only have started one of one of four, which is not great, particularly for someone that's looking for a new contract uh, oh. where he's up in two years. And that does concern me. Um, I think what the main thing I really noticed actually from the England games midweek is that I, I just love Sterling playing on the right. I think he's he just yeah. so dangerous. Yeah. Um, and I think particularly when he's attacking defenders, for me, I think he has he just has more options um, when he can go down the outside and if he wants to come back in. Whereas I think when he's when he plays on the left, he he. He doesn't go down the outside with his left foot that often. He's always looking to cut inside. And I think sometimes can be a bit predictable. And, and it does mean that Raz can often run down blind alleys. Whereas I think one thing that Grealish has shown since he's played on the left, and obviously it's a very small sample size, but he has been willing to go down the outside a bit more and has kind of retain the ball a bit better and come out of those situations where he's got three blokes on him and he'll just appear with the ball. And you're yeah. like, oh, wow. Um so actually, I'd I'd like to see I'd like to see Grealish on the left, Raz on the right, and and Torres. But we haven't really seen, apart from a two or three month period last season when Foden played on the left and Sterling played on the right in a few Champions League games. We haven't really seen him play there probably since the eighteen nineteen season now. So I imagine it'll be Mares, but I just yeah, I would like to see Sterling kind of line up there. Yeah, well, I'm. Completely agree. Um, I do think maybe, though, uh, it might be Raz starting on the left and, and Grealish missing out on this one. Um, I don't know what, it's just kind of instinct. I just feel that might be the case, but I, I certainly think it's going to be Mares to start on the right. Um, you know, we had an impressive pre-season as well. He's been unfortunate, really, to miss out to this point. So, um, yeah. I, I, why do you, why do you think Grealish will drop out? Any any tactical? No, I, I think actually for the reason that you gave where it'll be one start in four uh, for Raz if he misses out this time and he's got a contract situation coming up and um, I think Pep likes to shuffle his pack and I think he'll do so accordingly and I think against Leicester, against that kind of um, pack defence, I, I, I don't know, I think he's just going to go for Raz and, and, and cause the... I hope that he causes problems down that left, but... I completely agree with what you say as regards to how effective he is on the right compared to how he is on the left. And he does cut in and he does go down blind alley. So uh, down the left there. So will that be as effective as Jack Grealish? I don't know. So um, do you think there's any chance that, because I think it kind of took us a little bit by surprise in the Spurs game that obviously the noises were that Grealish is generally going to play in midfield. But I think most of us thought, you know, I mean, from what I've seen of Grealish, and I've watched him pretty closely over the last two years. He has really felt like a left winger to me in the in the Hazard mould. Definitely think he could play midfield, but not really seen him do it. And there's a lot to be asked of to do that under Pep. But that first game made me think, oh wow, that's a big statement. You know, Spurs away. You've played him in what is an essentially unfamiliar position for him. Do you think there's a chance that he comes in, or, or do you think Gundo and, um, and Bernardo particularly have played so well that it's just unlikely? Um, in terms of the long term, in terms of the big picture, then you look at the skill set of Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish, and Bernardo's got far inferior, um, superior, sorry, work rate. 
I think. Um, but in terms of the skill set of, of the players, then they're very similar, I think. So I could imagine Grealish being able to play in that role um, and doing well there. Um, as so often when we talk about kind of cities attacking kind of 20, if you like, because we've got so many of those players right now, whenever you go through them so often, and, and this applies to something we talked about on Wednesday with Kevin De Bruyne and whether you know, we can ever play it as a, a false nine, what you lose if you kind of play a player in that position is often greater than what you gain. So, you know, you play Kevin De Bruyne as a false nine, he's going to do well there. He's probably, I would say, our best false nine player. But you then miss out on having Kevin De Bruyne in deeper position, being more influential, being more creative, being able to see passes from, you know, from here, there and everywhere. And so what you lose out, it's, you can't really play him there, in my opinion. And the same goes for Jack Grealish. If you play Jack Grealish as a, as a midfielder, as a Bernardo Silva type, then I think, yeah, he'd, he'd do well there. He'd do well if you played him on Saturday, even though it's, it's still a largely unfamiliar role to him. But you then lose out on having Jack Grealish doing Jack Grealish things. So um, I, I wouldn't like to see I don't think he could be better there in the long term. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he's got the... The work rate, to be honest with you, um, it's it's a wrong choice of words. Work rate, um, he he puts in the yards. I just mean he doesn't have that competitiveness. Maybe um, De Bruyne has it, Bernardo has it. I don't think Jack Grealish has it. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't like to see him so central um, across ninety minutes. I'd like to see him he's drift um, and and kind of find pockets of space and and. Look to kind of. Um, do you know what I mean by that? I, I don't mean it as yeah, a slight no. on him. I, you know, I don't mean I know, it as I know what you mean. I think it's that it's that intensity. Yeah, intensity is good. Like press where Bernardo is literally on his best days is like a fucking dervish in the middle. Yeah, he just doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't stop and he doesn't give anyone a moment's notice. I mean, to be honest, I kind I do kind of agree, and that's why I've always thought that Foden would be the one that's going to end up back in midfield because I do think he has got that. Mm. that work rate um, and I know that there's been slight whispers from you know out of City that Pep in the past particularly has been slightly concerned about that and that's why he's not playing in midfield but to me Grealish has always probably um, felt more like the guy that would play on the left and Foden's always felt like more like the guy that would play in the middle the weird thing is that it sounds like the opposite is true um, which I agree is slightly strange Um and yeah, I mean, can Grealish learn that intensity? I don't know. I mean, that feels to me like something that's just innate and within. Yes, um, yeah. Maybe he can, maybe he can. And I, I, I don't think either of us are saying that Grealish doesn't work hard. He does. But to play in midfield for Pep, you have to be relentless. And I just don't think we've seen any evidence of it. And that's not his fault. I just don't think we've seen him play in that position, really. He hasn't really played there for England. He hasn't really played there for Villa. Um, and obviously he's only played one game there for City, so I understand, I understand what you mean. Um, I think the upside is that a player like Grealish or Foden, the damage that they could actually do from Central because yeah, they're so yeah. good on the ball and because they can travel with the ball, you could have a bit of an Iniesta situation where <laughs> you have a guy that can go past four people so easily in the middle and it just opens the whole game up, whereas there is less generally space out wide because sometimes well there's there was obviously space but in terms of where you can run you can often be cut off because you, you'll have two guys doubling up on you but like we were talking about Raz before 
where you can only really say go outside whereas generally in the center of the park you've got loads of options because you've you kind of you got the whole pitch around you so that's the upside but i yeah i can i completely understand what you're saying i don't think it's being harsh on greenish either no, I mean, God, we've got so many options and we're playing with so many different roles and it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. I mean, less so in ne- the next six months. For me, it's kind of a year down the line or 18 months down the line to see where these players ultimately settle because there are certain players, Jack Grealish being one now, um, where you, you don't really know their best role yet. You know, Foden's another, as you said, so it's going to be fascinating to see not just where, where Pep wants him to go in the long term and, and where he views them as being their primary roles, but where they kind of naturally fall as well. Um Yeah, it, we're just blessed to have so many players. My God, when we're talking about that, then I was thinking of the players we, we aren't mentioning. You know, Mares, for example, we've just got an abundance of them. Um I'd just see this one playing out on Saturday, Lloyd. I think it's quite tough to call, you know. I think, I think pre the Brazilian thing, I had us as pretty comfortable favourites. Yeah, I think. same here. Yeah. Edison, obviously, you know, I think Edison just provides so much comfort. Um, you just know what you get, don't you? And he adds so much to the other side of the game as well, just in terms of how we play, bringing us out from the back. You know, we literally create chances from how good Edison is on the ball. So you're going to lose that. I think you, you are going to lose the assuredness in net because ultimately despite what you and we've discussed about Carson, it is a bit of an unknown. We don't know. He hasn't yeah. played, he hasn't really played in the Premier League. And then Jesus has been probably, you know, across the last two games, he's been our best player. Um, he's been the most impactful in terms of um, goals and assists and kind of involvements in, in our best attacking play. So, Look, I still have City as favourites and I'd be confident that we should win, but um, I am less confident than I was before that announcement. I do think it's probably tips the balance back towards Leicester slightly. Um, I, I I can't see it being a 5-0 or, or like a route we've had in the last two games. I think it's going to be close. Um, I could see us conceding as well. So I, I'm going to go 2-1. I think that's probably the most likely outcome. Mm. Yeah, I, I think we're definitely going to score because of their lack of defence and uh, how they've been, how they've looked at the back as well. Because, so, you know, okay, they've had a lot to deal with, but they haven't dealt with it well. So um, that's also a factor. So I think yeah. we're definitely going to score. Um, I was thinking 2 0 for City prior to the kind of Edson Jesus thing. Um, I'm more than happy to agree with you and say 2 1 now, give them a goal because of. Uh, the two players we're missing. So yeah, 2-1, both agree on that. Uh, it's going to be a tough game. Um, I, I still find, I still back us to win. I still fancy us. So, uh, and then that will mean that Leicester have had a poor start. I think that'll drop them down to the lower reaches of the table as well. And I, I think after this weekend, there's going to be three or four big clubs in that lower half of that table. Um, would that be two wins? Would that be two wins, two losses for them? Yes, and yeah. obviously with Arsenal, regardless of how the result go, they're going to be in the bottom half of the table. Um, Leeds as well got Liverpool this weekend. That's going to be a tough one. So Leeds can find themselves if results go a certain way. Leeds can find themselves in the bottom three after this weekend. So um, mm. yeah, there's going to be some big clubs. Where, and we know just how much the media love to scream, you know, crisis. After four or five games, so yeah, exactly. Yeah, who's going to be the managers under fire? Um, 
Okay, let's just kind of quickly end on, you know, the, the, the greatest occasion that's ever befell mankind that we that await us this weekend. The 3 p.m. blackout. <laughs> yeah. The return of Cristiano Ronaldo to United. Um, what have you made, Lloyd, in the media getting somewhat carried away by a fading giant signing a 36-year-old? Yeah, it's, it's a bit... It's just very British media, isn't it? It's very, yeah. Um, it's just, you know, just ticks those boxes. It's a real it's a real marketing move, obviously, from United to take the seven shirt off, off Cavani and, you know, throw him in the bin, essentially. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, look, you know, it's 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 very romantic. If you're not a City fan, I you know I understand why you look at it and you go just from just from an excitement point of view, uh, and you know just the image of kind of Ronaldo back at Old Trafford. It's exciting. I mean, it's good. It's it's good for the league. It definitely brings you know a level of kind of interest that maybe hadn't been there. I mean, Ronaldo look is definitely on the wane and. I was pretty strong in my views from early early doors when it was announced <laughs> that I didn't want him, and so that worked out quite well for me. Um, but you know, he is. This is the thing with Ronaldo. Yes, he'll bring a lot, but there's there's a lot of circus and there's a lot of bollocks that will that will come with that man signing. And I'm kind of, it's kind of annoying because I do feel like this Newcastle game. It, it just feels. Just feels perfect, doesn't it? Like mm. what, that is, if you could write a fixture yeah. at, at home against Newcastle, Steve Bruce's Newcastle. I mean, <laughs> that has just got Ronaldo brace written all over it. So I really hope he doesn't score any goals, and the whole thing's a massive damp squib, and then it's like seventh on match of the day, and all of the journalists look like mugs because that would be really nice, but. You know, realistically, there's probably a pretty good chance he scores. I think what I'm interested in is, I don't know if you've seen, but there's chat that Ronaldo's going to play wide left for United from right. within the United uh, Ronaldo, uh, from within the United camp. It sounds like Solskjaer's um, been lining up not to play him up front, which I think would be very damaging to United, and I'm kind of shocked that that would be kind of what they're going looking to do. Um, you know, some Juve fans were replying to it I saw on Twitter saying well he never actually really played up front for us properly because we always played with two yeah, played yeah, with Morata yeah. and he always drifted out to the left so he was never like the number nine the focal point in the centre of the box and I think obviously all United fans and well even City fans when there was a chance he was coming to us just kind of assumed that that's where he would play um, so if he does play on the left I think that could be really interesting because I think that could be really damaging to United and I feel like a lot of their attacks could break down on that side if Ronaldo is there because when you know United have been at their best over the last well 18 months or however it's when they've had kind of quick transitions between your Rashfords your Greenwoods kind of playing it into Cavani and um, creating chances off the back of that Ronaldo is not that kind of player he's not a link up player it's the ball kind of ends with Ronaldo in yeah, the yeah. sense that it gets to him and then he will, you know, cut inside, take a shot or, you know, it will be, it'll be that kind of thing. So I'm sure he'll score goals, but I, I really don't know how it's going to play out. I, I can't, I can't really call it. I think a lot of it will probably rest on how he starts. So what are his first three, five games like? So hopefully he puts in a proper five out of 10 on, on the weekend. That would be nice, wouldn't it? 
It would, um, but like you say, it's against Newcastle and most pertinently of all, it's against Steve Bruce. And you could well imagine um, the Newcastle keeper pulling off a worldie before half-time against Ronaldo and getting an absolute bollocking from Bruce um, at half-time. That man just, you know, loves losing to United, doesn't he? So um, I think we can very safely say that United are going to win on Saturday. We should kind of brace ourselves for that and we should possibly brace ourselves for... Uh, an avalanche of hype regarding Ronaldo because no doubt he'll be involved somewhere along the line. Um, as for the long term, meh, you know, he's 36. I think it's going to, um, we're going to start noticing a decline in him at some point in the next year. Um, so this whole Ronaldo storm is just a temporary one, I think, that we have to ride out for now. But, uh, you know, the bigger picture is that City have a better team, better coach by some distance. Um, and we're going to win the league this year, so what's it matter? Yeah, and, and in a way, I actually think there are, from our side, there are there are big positives to take from it in the sense that I think, you know, Neville, who I really like and think talks a lot of sense about football, generally speaks absolute bollocks when it comes to United. And yeah. He was kind of pre-Ronaldo playing United down on Monday Night Football saying, yeah, you know, even if they came top four, so fourth, two places yeah, yeah. last year, that yeah. would still be a success. It's like, sorry, mate, are you, have you got your head like so far up your own arse on United that you just can't yeah. utter a kind of decent opinion? I think what Ronaldo does, and there's no way now that Neville or anyone could kind of deny it, partly because you know they're all so high on him coming back, is it just moves the needle on Ollie like that. It, it it ramps the pressure up. You know, there's, there are no excuses now. United can't, and United fans can't say, "Oh, we don't have a DM, so mm. you know we can't challenge for the league." Lads, you've signed Ronaldo, Sancho, Varane. Like that is like a Galactico A one window. I know Ronaldo. There are issues with him, but the other two are literally A one footballers. Like they are your first targets in both positions, and you sign both of them. Yeah, and then you sign Ronaldo. Like your kind of club's darling. Um, who supposedly loves United. Um, so I think, you know, that is that in a, in a way is a positive because it will, for me, it's, it's definitely going to put the pressure on Oli. And can Oli manage a player with that ego and who is that much of, you know, just a kind of force of nature bloke? Uh, I know that they've played with each other before, but it's very different a relationship of just being pals to, mate, I'm the boss now, like you listen to me. So... I think it's yeah, it's it's interesting from that side, and uh, you know there is a lot of stuff that lends to it possibly going tits up. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be looking in. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have to as regards to work, but uh, I've got to say I find the whole thing incredibly boring. Um, Ronaldo bores me; he's always bored me, um, and yeah, I, I, it's not a United thing either. Um, he's just. The thing I dislike most about modern football um, is, although I do admire them greatly, is the kind of um, Mourinho, Chelsea of 2003, 4, 5, 6. You know, the kind of how basically football changed from being this aesthetically beautiful sport to one of athletes, just athletes being the best athletes that they can. And so this player is not better than that player. He's just a better athlete. Uh, and Ronaldo just sums that up for me. I mean, an incredible footballer, of course he is, but he's also the absolute ultimate athlete. Um, 
And I don't like athletics. It bores me. I don't even watch the Olympics. So, <laughs> so that, that's how I feel about Cristiano Ronaldo as compared to someone like Lionel Messi, for example. But um, so, yeah, and obviously with all the hype as well regarding this move, um, then I'm just, I'm looking on with mild disinterest, to be honest, and thoroughly anticipating a 3 or 4 nil win against United, uh, Newcastle this weekend because that's what Steve Bruce does. True, but... I tell you what, there'll be no better place to be than in the city fans and our shoes if it does go tits up. Oh yeah, yeah, really, yeah. really funny, and it will naturally, I think, because of Ronaldo's ego, it will unravel quite badly if <laughs> it goes tits up. Uh, the problem is, there's obviously a good chance that it won't, and it'll be really annoying. <laughs> yeah, let's just see. Um, right, I think that's it for today. Mate. Thank you very much, Lou, for joining me. Cheers, mate. And thanks everyone for listening in. Um, that's a wrap for today, folks. We're off to find out who the hell Mercury winner Arlo Parks is so we can stay hip and current. In the meantime, stay safe, be well, and forever up the blues.